as we delve into your word, as we continue to unpack the servant leader. Lord, it is such an amazing study and we're learning so many things, Lord God, as we delve into who you are, what you did, the reality of it, Lord God. So Lord, we ask that your spirit would be in this place and that every ear would hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it good to worship the Lord? It's just good to worship. Yeah, come on, come on. Yeah. Listen, if this is if this is your only time where you're worshiping the Lord, I challenge you, spend some time worshiping the Lord outside of church. Spend some time in your in your room. When I was a young boy, uh, we when I when I gave my heart to Jesus, there was a, a, a gentleman who's still preaching, his name's Greg Johnson, and he talked about a place called the Bedroom Bible College. And man, we would go to our rooms and we would praise the Lord. And there are so many things that God would reveal to us just in our own rooms, in our prayer closets, and God would move. Amen? So we're, we're challenging all of us to get back to that first love. God, what are you saying to us every day of the week, not just Sunday? Amen? Amen. Amen? Come on this morning, all right. We need you to be excited because this is a good word, man. God is, God is doing some things. And, and I wanted to cover the first two uh, biblical principles of servant leadership, and then we're gonna delve into the third and fourth. The first one that we covered last week was servant leaders humble themselves and wait on God to exalt them. And the story that we read was of the wedding feast where some people sat in the place of honor and then the, the host had to say, that's not your place. You need to go back and sit in the back row. And it was embarrassing for them. So prepare yourself, go and sit in the seat that is the farthest and wait for those who are the hosts to bring you or invite you to the front. And then the second concept we talked about was servant leaders follow Jesus rather than seeking a position. And we talked about James and John and how they were walking with Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, that's great that you're having all this distress and stuff, all things you're gonna go through. Um, that's great and all, but who's gonna sit at your right and your left when you come into your glory? Like they made it clear that that was their most important thing, not that Jesus was going through something. He, they didn't wanna sit with him and deal with him. They wanted to just find out who was gonna be the best in the kingdom. And so uh, we pick up right from there uh, in Mark chapter 10, verses 41 through 45, and I'm using the message translation for this particular verse, and this is after James and John were basically corrected by Jesus. Verse 41 and 40, 41 through 45 go like this. When the other 10 heard of this conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John. Right? I mean, you can imagine all these guys are walking with Jesus and two guys are like, hey, we're the best and we want to sit at your right and your left, but we're going to say that secretly. When that got out to the other 10, I'm sure they were like, what? What's wrong with you guys? I thought we were a team. Well, what's the deal? So they lost their temper. Jesus got them all together to settle things down. And he said it like this. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. He said, and when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way for you, Jesus said. And then he goes on to say, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Hang on that. 
That is what the Son of Man has done. He has come to serve, not to be served. And then he gave away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. This is the message that caused the masses to say, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with that. It doesn't look like we thought it would look. It's contrary to what we were preparing for. And frankly, we don't want to be Rome's servant anymore. They had an expectation and anything less wasn't going to work. And so the principle three is this. Servant leaders are willing to give up personal rights to find greatness in service to others. There's a lot of talk right now about rights. There's a lot of chatter about rights. I have this right, I have that right, therefore I should be able to do this or that or this or that. And so I've spent a lot of time in prayer concerning this message. This is not a message that I'm, I'm taking lightly, but I want to let you know that I believe that some lives are gonna take a drastically different direction this morning. I believe that God is going to lay some things on your heart that you weren't expecting him to lay on your heart. And I'm believing this morning that some individuals in this room are gonna say, I'll go, send me. I'll go, send me. Simply because they've had an encounter with the king of kings who did not want to be considered a king. Jesus gave up rights. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. The number one right Jesus gave up was the right to live like God. Jesus gave up the right to live like God. Philippians chapter two, verses five through six say it like this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Jesus was present at creation. Jesus is the second part of the Godhead. Jesus is God. Yet when he stepped out of heaven, he said, I came to serve and not to be served. The second right that Jesus gave up was the right to act like God. He's the king of everything. Philippians 2 verse 7 says it like this. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. The king of kings who sits on the most high place and rules over everything in the entire universe, stepped
stepped down to be your servant. There's not a greater example that anybody could come up with of humility. The third right that Jesus gave up, the right to look like God. Who has believed our message? Isaiah 53, one through two says, to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. It's a prophecy given in the book of Isaiah about Jesus. Nothing. Nothing that would say, oh yeah, that makes sense. He's really good looking, so therefore he's the one. Or there's this, this, this thing that shines around him. Oh, can you see the halo that's around his head? He must be the one. No. Oh, when you're around him, there's this glow, there's this golden hue that emits. No. No. He was a dark-skinned, dark, curly-haired Jew. And you say, you know, what, what's the big deal looking like a human? There's some really good-looking humans, Right? I mean, I talked about last week how I was a major dude in high school, right? So Jesus was a major dude, right? No. Before his incarnation, Jesus was clothed with divine splendor, the Bible says. Now he takes on human form. And like I said, he's a Jewish male among a whole bunch of Jewish men. He gave up it all. He gave it all up. He gave everything up. When, when, when my wife and I were married, we talked about it a minute ago, at 18 years old, I was in the Navy. I had just graduated from boot camp. And uh, one of the things that my wife would do, or she wasn't my wife yet, she would drive down on the weekends. We'd hang out. We'd plan the wedding. And then we'd, we'd, she'd bring me back up to, to, to uh, the L.A. area. We'd plan the wedding. And then she'd drive me back down so I could go to work for the week. I was in between boot camp and school and boot camp and the fleet. And it was just a really weird time. We were anticipating for the wedding. So then the wedding happened, and I got orders to uh, the East Coast, just, just like the military, how many have experienced this? They, they give you a thing called the dream sheet. How many of you guys remember that in the military? You get a dream sheet. Man, put whatever you want. What is the thing that you want the most? And I said, boy, I'd like to have a small ship on the West Coast. Yeah, that'd be great. And they, they ordered me to an aircraft carrier on the East Coast. Just the absolute opposite of what I asked for. But hey, you know what? We laid down our lives, right? We're going, we're going to do what we're going to do. So here we are, 18 years old. We're just married. I've got a car that's called a Honda Matic. It, it doesn't have a clutch, but you have to shift it from first to second gear. It's about as big as three of those chairs put together. And we're loading it with everything we own, and we're towing behind us the smallest U-Haul trailer we could find that would fit everything we had. And our parents are looking at us like, are you out of your cotton-picking mind? 
Isn't that the car that you just had to put a bubblegum wrapper in the electric part of the motor to get it started? Yes. We're trusting Jesus. Yes. And we set off on our way. We get to the East Coast. We coast into town. The alternator goes out. We don't have a car. We're staying at a hotel. We have the last of our traveler's checks. How many remember traveler's checks? We have the last of our traveler's checks. Just a couple hundred dollars left. We had money for maybe a security deposit, and we call around for different apartments that are available, and the really nice gentleman answers the phone, and he said, well, I'll come pick you up, and I'll take you to this place that I'm renting. So we drive through this beautiful part of Virginia. You know, the, the storm fronts of the houses, they've got those screens around the porch, you know, and just beautiful and, and wrap around porches. And we're like, this is so beautiful. Oh, the Lord is just gonna, we're so excited to be here. It's just so, it's like small town America. And we pop out on the street and it's right across the street from the ocean. We're like, yes. Our rent was $300. And we quickly found out that this was the worst area in Norfolk, Virginia. (laughs) Prostitutes walking by the front of our house. Drug deals going on out in front of our place. We find out Brenda's pregnant. And the worst of it all was when I was sleeping with my hand above my head and a roach dropped into my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Two things that'll wake you up super fast. A baby in the bed who's puking, amen? And a roach falling on your hand. So I threw the roach, we got up, went into the kitchen, and they're everywhere. I'm like, oh no, this is disgusting. So, So we put out the baits, nothing. We, we tried the raid, nothing. They just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. We called the landlord. Yeah, we're going to have an exterminator come out. Blah, 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 blah. And the roaches just kept coming and kept coming no matter what we did. So we thought in our little one-bedroom apartment that it would be a good idea to set off five bug bombs. We're going to exterminate these things once and for all. So we gathered up all the money that we had. We bought the five bug bombs. We had enough money to go to the movies. So we set off the bug bombs and we, we ran out of the house and we went to the movies and we came back. And when we walked into the house, there was a line of roaches around every wall of the apartment about three to four inches wide. They were just trying to get out. And we sweeped them up, swept them up, put them in a 13, sorry, I didn't mean to offend the the grammar. So I swept swept them up into a 13-gallon trash bag, and it was like, it looked like that when you really hit the jackpot at Halloween, when you gather all the candy in the pillowcase, it was like that much right? And they were back the next day. They run upstairs, they run downstairs, run upstairs. And why am I saying all that? Listen, compared to God, 
We're cockroaches. We're nothing. We're nothing. And I thought, as I was thinking about this presentation this morning, I thought, if I could have had compassion on a cockroach, I mean, bear with me for a second. To, to, to make myself a cockroach and crawl into the cockroach den and say, this guy's serious. He's about to kill about 15,000 of you guys. So follow me. That's how ridiculous what Jesus did is. That's how ridiculous it is what he did. He's the prodigal God. He gives of everything to those who have nothing. Right number four, the right to be treated like God. Philippians chapter two, verse eight says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Isaiah 53.3 says it like this. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He turned, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Why am I saying all this? Because Jesus had what I would call inalienable rights. How many remember where that word comes from? Jesus had what I would like to call inalienable rights. What's inalienable? It means it cannot be taken away or denied. Its most famous use is in the Declaration of Independence, which says people have inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many would say, I'm thankful for that? Mark chapter 8, verse 34 said this. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must. You must. This isn't a suggestion. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. This is not easy. Jesus says you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Some of the rights that we have, yell out a right. Anybody? Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Kevin, shut up. Free speech. What other rights do you have? Other rights, anybody? Religious freedom, right? Right to bear arms. Anybody else? What? You have a right to an attorney. We have a right to own possessions. If you have the money, you can go out and buy whatever you want, right? Nobody's going to stop you. You have the right to live where you want. If you have the means, you can go live wherever you want. You have the right to speak your opinion freely in this country. You have that right. You have the right to homeschool your children. We did that. It was awesome. We loved it. You have the, you have the right to eat whatever you want and suffer the consequences. You have your religious rights. 
You have the right to wear an Atari t-shirt in church on Sunday morning. I'm exercising my right. You have the right to go to whatever church you want to go to. You have the right to do what you want. You have the right to say what you want. You have the right to act the way that you want. Some of us have taken advantage of those rights and we've lost friends. Some of us have taken advantage of those rights and we've lost family members. Some of us have taken advantage of those rights and we've placed walls between us and those who need Jesus. If everyone exercised their rights to the exclusion of God's plan, a tragedy of cataclysmic proportions would occur. Millions of people who live their lives in guilt and despair would face judgment and die spiritually and live eternity apart from God. There are more than 2.5 billion with a B people who have never heard the gospel message. 2.5 billion people have never heard the gospel message before. 8,000 unreached people groups around the world wait to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And we sit in our churches and we sing the songs we want to sing and we do the things that we want to do and we give a little money and we think that's good enough. And God is saying, lay your life down. And I'm the one who gave you the example of laying your life down, Jesus says. I gave up everything and became a cockroach for you. And, 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 and we get up and we turn around and we walk out when something's uncomfortable or something challenges us or something is different than what we wanted it to be. Rather than saying, God, use me. Use me, Lord. Mark 8.35 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. When you hang on for dear life, the control over your kids. When you hang on for dear life, the control over your spouse. When you hang on for dear life, the control over the pastor. When you hang on for dear life, the control over your workplace and the people in your workplace, what happens is you strangle them to death. But when you learn to live with open hands, and you begin to say, whatever you bring through those hands, Lord God, and you decide to leave on my hands, I will consider a blessing. But what runs through, Lord God, it wasn't for me. And I'm okay with that. So the choice is ours. We can hold on to our rights. We can hold on and say, that is my right, and you're coming and talking to me, and that is my right, and I'm angry with you. And we can expect and wait for God to bless us while the rest of the world is wandering around with no hope. Once again on Friday, my wife and I went out 
to Henderson. We went to restaurants. We went to the mall. And my eyes are lifted up. Jesus says, lift your eyes up. Did he know that we were going to have smartphones? I mean, honestly, did he know that we were going to have smartphones and that we would need to lift our eyes? Because we're walking through the mall and we're just like, He says, lift your eyes for the fields are white for harvest. Pray to the God of all things to send laborers in to the harvest. Why? Because a harvest can't harvest itself. What happens, farmers, when a harvest isn't harvested? It dies and it's wasted and it's useless. But what happens when the field filled with laborers harvests what is created? Sustenance, feasts, life. And that's what God is trying to paint a picture of in our lives. And we're so busy, focused on what is my right, that we miss the person across from you that doesn't give a rip about your rights. They just want someone to sit with them and love them and to care for them and to be there for them. And all of this falls on the church. It all falls on us. Why? Because the spirit of the living God who laid it all down lives in us. And if we don't do it, it rots. If we don't harvest, it dies. Let me make it personal. If we don't harvest, they die. People. People. So we can hold on to our rights and expect God to just send blessings our way, or we can give them freely back to him for the greatest privilege of all, reaching this world for the kingdom of God. He's placed that in us. The fourth mark of a servant leader is servant leaders can risk doing this because they trust that God is in control of their lives. Ah, I don't know if I can give money this week because uh, uh, we might need it. I'm going to give trusting that the Lord's going to take care of my needs. I don't know if I can do another hour of, of servant leading at the church or be a part of what's going on because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that are happening and, and, and I, I, I'm really, really busy. I'm going to give anyway and I'm going to trust the Lord to find that quality time that I'm looking for. Uh, I'm not sure if, you know, I've been playing guitar or singing for a long time and I'm just, man, I'm so nervous and embarrassed I'm going to trust the Lord that he's going to take care of that and it's going to go well. 
and he's going to meet me in the middle of it. How many times, worship team, do we show up on Wednesday night and our voices don't want to sing, our instruments don't want to tune, and things just don't seem to work out right, but then we pray, right? And then we just ask the Lord, and then all of a sudden, right into the middle of the first worship song that we're practicing, we're praising the Lord. God meets us when we take that step of faith and trust. How many need God to meet you when you, right? How many, how many feel like this is your life? I'm on the edge. I don't know what's going to happen, right? God is waiting for you to just go, catch me. How many had little kids and you're, you're, up, you're in the pool? Catch me, daddy. Catch me, daddy. And how many of you just moved aside and let your kid drown? <laughs> Serves you right. This is a hard world we live in. But that's how we talk. That's how we talk. Serves those people right for the choices they made. Let them live in poverty. That was a choice. Let them deal with the consequences of whatever they're going through. Maybe they'll think twice before making that decision next time. How many dads in this room would not be balled out completely by a woman if you let your kid jump off the ledge and then sink to the bottom of the pool and say, serves them right? Do you know how I learned how to swim? My grandfather threw me in the pool. And you can say, you learned how to swim, didn't you? Yeah. But what I really wanted was my grandfather to pull me around and go, hey, isn't this fun? Hey, isn't this fun? That wasn't my grandfather. Get your A in the pool. Learn how to swim. I'll see you at the stairs. Don't say poor me. Think about your own life and what we think and how we think about people around us. With this hardened life. And the people that Jesus came to reach were wanting Jesus to confront the government. They were wanting Jesus to raise up an army to arm the people and to take over the Roman government and to restore peace to the, 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 the area, the nation, the nation of Israel. We're gonna be saved. We're gonna take it by force. And when he came and he said, prepare a table for your enemies and feed them. When he came and said, love your enemies, lay down your life for your enemies, people are like, that's ridiculous. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And they left him and they missed the very point that he was trying to make. And we find ourselves in a similar situation today. That's ridiculous. Everything in God's economy looks ridiculous before you go into it.
everything. Jericho, are you kidding me? Jericho? That's the most fortified city in all the land. Are you out of your cotton-picking mind? Are you, are you out of your brick-making mind? Are you out of your brick-making mind? There is no way that we're going to be able to take Jericho. Here's how you do it. Walk around Jericho. Just walk. Keep your mouth shut. Just walk. Okay, we did that. Do it again tomorrow. Do it again tomorrow. This is stupid, God. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to obey? Maybe. And then when it was all said and done, he said, sound the trumpets. Scream at the top of your lungs. And the walls came tumbling down. How many know God can do it? It's just, are we willing to do it his way? That's the question. Number four, servant leaders can risk serving because they trust that God is in control of their lives. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, and he came from God and was on his way back to God, so he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. What I'm saying is this. God wants you to stop thinking you've got it figured out. God wants you to lay down what you would consider worldly wisdom. I can handle this. There's a process. I got this. God is saying, are you willing to trust me in everything? And as you do that, he wants you to know that he's ready for you to jump on board the team. What team? It's the team that's going to change the world again. The church. Everything that we need for life and godliness is in Jesus. And everything the church needs to change the world is at our fingertips. He's just waiting for those who are willing to lay down their lives and say, God, it's you. The world is changing. Are you on the transition team or are you on the team that's resisting? The world is changing to a place where God will pour out his spirit and enable us to reach people with the gospel. And it's our job to do it. Not the church down the street, not the mega church over the hill, not the mega church down in Vegas. It's our job. So what is God saying to you? That's the question. What is God saying to you? Put aside the past. The enemy wants to throw your past in your face. You remind him of his future. God wants to use you and this church to change the world. Who's with me? It's okay. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask... I'm going to ask that question again because I don't know that you were ready for it. God wants to use this church. Guys, I'm serious to change the world. I'm not talking about, you know, the, 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 the housing tracks, you know, around the church. I'm talking about changing the world. God wants to use this church and these people to change the world. Who is with me? So God says, find your place. Where are you gifted? Where are you talented? Find your place. Begin to pray. God, how can you use me? Lord, in what area can I be used most effectively? Lord, how can my time be used by the church so that I can further your kingdom in this community and around the world? Lord, how can my talents be used to further the gospel in this community and around the world. Lord, how can my treasure, what is so near and dear to me, my wallet is, my wallet should be right here in the middle of my chest because it's closest to my heart. How can that be used to change the world and to change this community? Begin to ask yourself those questions. And when God speaks that still small voice to you and says, do this, go, oh, that's big. If it's not big, it's not God. Amen? If it's not big, it's not God. Ben, would you just do me a favor? I know you hate this stuff. Would you stand to your feet real quick? This is Ben Wilcox. He's our community. No, he hates that, so we're not going to do it. He's our community life coordinator, and his job is to take people, figure out with them and God where their talents are and where they can best fit, and to plug them in to this community. See his face. Make that connection. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate that. Now you can give him a hand. If I were to call you to do something more and then not give you a pathway to do it, I'd be shooting myself in the foot. Go talk to Deb. Come talk to me. Go talk to Brenda. Talk to CR. CR, you're up there by yourself, brother. Could you use some people back there to help you with tech? Absolutely. We need people on the worship team. We need people in the pantry cleaning freezers. We need people at the thrift store because the thrift store provides daycare scholarships for working parents. It's amazing stuff. We need people to help us feed the community. We're feeding 100 families a week. How many know we can feed 200? We can do it. But I can't do it alone. Deb can't do it alone. None of us can do it alone. We have to do it together. And the message of the servant leader is this. I'm willing to lay down my rights and my wants and say, God, what is it that you would have for me? And that's the essence of the gospel, knowing that no matter what, you can trust him with your life. How many believe you can trust Jesus with your life? If you've never trusted Jesus before, I encourage you this morning to say yes to Jesus. If you're in this room and you said, Kevin, I loved everything you said, but I don't know what it means to trust Jesus. It means to give your life to him. To say, Lord, I don't know what it looks like, but I know that the Holy Spirit is drawing me and I say yes to you because I want your spirit living within me. And if you say yes this morning, tell somebody, tell a staff member, fill out the card, says I said yes to Jesus, place it in the prayer box 
in the lobby, but let us know so we can rejoice with you. The Bible says this, when one person, one person who's lost is found, all of heaven rejoices. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank you this morning for what you're doing. Lord, raise up an army of people, Lord, who are not conquerors, Lord, in the sense that we think of, but conquerors, Lord, in the sense of we're serving people and we're taking ground because of our humility and our love for this world. And we're changing the landscape, Lord God, because we're bringing your spirit where it needs to be, in places where people are lost. Place a burden in all of our hearts, Lord God, to change the world around us and therefore change the world as a whole. And we thank you for that. Would you put up your hands because you're under Holy Spirit house arrest. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is on your side, whom shall you fear? May you be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf will not wither. And whatsoever you do, say it if you know it, it shall prosper. God bless you guys. Have the best week ever.